the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Folks, this is why religion can save you. This is why doing good things can save you. You can't do enough good things to get to heaven. In fact, you can't do any good things to get to heaven. You and I are spiritual criminals. The Bible calls that sin. And Jesus Christ is the provision for our sin. And Mount Moriah reminds us of this. One man bought a white mouse to feed his pet snake one day. He dropped the mouse into the sleeping snake's glass cage. The clever little mouse, knowing he had to do something before the snake awoke, set to work covering the snake with sawdust in the bottom of the cage. Once the snake was hidden, the mouse went to sleep, not realizing that covering the snake would not save him. But the man took pity on the mouse, and salvation came for the mouse by a hand reaching down and lifting him to safety. You and I have no more chance against our sin and its penalty than that mouse had against the snake unless someone reaches down to us in mercy and sets us free. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been unwrapping for us the story of the life of King David, a man after God's own heart. Today's class is the conclusion of a three-part message on the dangers of success, and it also wraps up our study of David. In David's later years, he had grown proud and decided to trust his own strength. As a measure of that strength, David wanted a census to be taken. In 1 Chronicles chapter 21, God offered David a choice of three punishments. Let's resume the class at that point. Here's Pastor Steve. From these verses and on to verse 14, we learn that at some point after the census was taken, David saw how rebellious he had been, and he confessed his sin, he repented of it. What led up to that, I don't know. But he was a man sensitive to the Lord, and God got through. In 2 Samuel 24, 10, it says that, that uh, David's heart troubled him after he had numbered the people. That is, he was crushed by guilt. He was crushed by guilt. His heart was troubled, and he admitted his sin to God. But instead of just forgiving David, the passage goes on to say that God... Uh, said, I will give you three options because I will not only punish you, I will punish Israel. Now, you may wonder why God had to punish the whole nation because the other week we just spent the whole time saying that the soul that sins, it shall die. It shall, uh, be, it shall accept punishment. Why then, if David did this, does all of Israel have to, have to be punished? Because I remind you in 2 Samuel 24, which you just looked at, it said that God incited David. Let's, let's look at it again so you'll see it. It says, now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and it incited David. It wasn't just David who was in sin. There was a rebelliousness to Israel. What exactly it was, we don't know. Maybe it was just generally in rebellion to God. 
God brought this upon the whole nation. The whole nation had to be chastised, disciplined, punished because of their sin. So God may have used David as the leader of the nation, but it was really for Israel that this, that this happened, and God was disciplining them. And so God not only forgave David, but he said, I'm going to give you three options. Choose one, in the three options in the form of chastisement. Number one, he said, and these are, I'm just not reading those verses because I read it before. Number one, you could have three years of famine in the land. Now, that, that's not good, three years of famine. They had just come through a time like that, so uh, that's not good. Number two, you could flee for three months from your enemies, which uh, would greatly affect the nation. David decided not to choose that because, remember, David had fled much of his earlier life from Saul. He wasn't about to do that. And he said the third option, and this is the one he chose, was three days of pestilence in the land in which many people would die. And David chose that, and we, we, um, he says in verse 13, I'm in great distress over this. And in verse 14, we read that there were 70,000 men who died. Now, this is not an encouraging portion of Scripture. There were 70,000 fresh graves in Israel. However, it is instructive for us because it reminds us of an important principle. And before you look at the principle, by the way, this was very appropriate for David and the nation because David was basically saying, I want to see my military strength, how many men I have. And God said, I'll show you how many men you have. You have 70,000 less than you began with. That's what I think of that. But it is an important principle for us. Nobody sins alone. You may think your sin doesn't affect other people, but it does. Nobody sins in a vacuum. Your sin affects others. It hurts other people. And this is especially true, watch this, if you are a leader. If you are a leader. James chapter 3, you don't need to turn there, I'll just read it to you. James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Let, let not many of you become teachers, meaning teachers in the church. My brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. James is saying, don't rush to be a leader in the church because there is a more stringent judgment for those who are. Now, why? Why does God judge a leader more stringently than he does others? Because leaders have the opportunity to affect so many lives under them that if they blow it, and fall, they take many people with them. They also have the opportunity to bless many people. But the more successful you are, the more dangerous it is in the sense that there's the potential there to hurt people. People follow you. Now, this isn't only the case with church leaders. It's parents as well. It's uh, disciple makers. It's teachers. It's uh, anybody who walks with Christ who has people looking at them. You're a leader to somebody. Even if you're a young person, you're a leader in your school. They look up to you. And if you fall, and if you sin, it affects others. It affects others. So success tends to breed pride. It also hurts other people if you allow that pride to be bred. But there is a, a third danger of success. When success breeds pride and we sin, it leads to one more danger, and that is it's a man's payment. It's a man's payment. That really isn't a danger, but it's a danger if you sin, that you need to understand that there's a payment involved. Notice verses 15 through 17. God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it, but as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and was sorry over the calamity and said to the destroying angel, it is enough. Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. 
Then David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth, earth and heaven, with his drawn sword in hand, stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders covered with sackcloth fell on their faces. And David said to God, it is not I, or is it not I who commanded to count the people? Indeed, I'm the one who has sinned and done very wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Now he doesn't realize God is dealing with them in rebellion. Oh, my Lord. My God, please let thy hand be against me and my father's household, but not against thy people, that they should be plagued. Now, David didn't exactly have it right. It wasn't just David who had sinned. It was the whole nation. But David is pleading now, God, don't destroy Jerusalem. This is the capital. This is the place. God was moving throughout the land. When he came to Jerusalem, he stopped. He stopped. And the precise spot that he stopped was the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Now, what is a Jebusite? The Jebusites were the inhabitants of the city of Jerusalem when David captured the city, and it became Israel's city. And uh, there was a man named Ornan who was living there. He had a threshing floor. That's where they uh, uh, dealt with uh, um, beating out uh, for food and all of that, getting food and, and so forth. Verses 18 through 26, and the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of the Lord, which he spoke in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned back and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him and his four sons who were with him hid themselves and Ornan was threshing wheat. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David went out from the threshing floor and prostrated himself before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, give me the site of this threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord for the full price. You shall give it to me that the plague may be restrained from the people. And Ornan said to David, take it for yourself and let my Lord, the king, do what is good in his sight. See, I will give the oxen for burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I'll give it all. But King David said to Ornan, no, but I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord or offering uh, or offer a burnt offering, which cost me nothing. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. And David built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he called to the Lord and he answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. This is very significant. God instructed David to go build an altar right on the spot of Ornan's threshing floor. So David had to acquire the land because the way David's city, you may think that David had, when you see a, the city of Jerusalem today on your Bible maps that David had all that. No, David had a little section, just a little section of what we call David's city. Today, it is basically, not basically, it is outside the walled city of Jerusalem. You can see it on our next trip there, but that's another story. It's right outside. And uh, so David went outside of his city, kind of the suburbs, and he went to uh, speak to Ornan, the Jebusite, And he said, I'll pay for this. What do you want? And Ornan said, I'll give it to you. 
I'll just give it to you. David said, no, 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 I'll pay for it. And David gave 600 shekels of gold, which would be about 15 pounds of gold for this. And once David owned this site, he built an altar to the Lord and he uh, offered sacrifices to atone for his sin. And God responded favorably by sending fire from heaven. Now, why did God instruct David to purchase this spot? Why this spot and build an altar there? Two reasons. Number one, to indicate to David that David's sin had to be punished, had to be punished. God never forgives, and mark this well, God never forgives without punishment being meted out. You can't just say, God, forgive me, and that's it. There has to be punishment, always has to be punishment. Why? Because God's justice demands payment. That's why a person could never be saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had to die for sin. God cannot just forgive because, well, because he'd like to forgive. God may indeed like to forgive, but he can only forgive based on the fact that you and and I, our spiritual crimes were punished. They were punished in God's son. So that's the first reason God was establishing the truth and affirming it that sin demanded payment. David, you sinned. Your pride got the best of you. You hurt other people. Uh, There must be a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, David. And so that was the principle. Number two, the second reason, very significant, is this. David had to build an altar on Ornan's threshing floor. Verse 28 says this. At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, he offered sacrifice there. David sensed that this was a significant piece of realty. David sensed when God sent down fire that this place was special, and it really was. Do you know what this place was? It was the future site of the temple. It was the future site. If you'll look at chapter 22 of Chronicles, verse 1, David said, this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. This spot will be where the temple will be built. Now, David didn't build it, Solomon, his son, built it. And then look over, if you will, at 2 Chronicles 3.1. 2 Chronicles 3.1 says this, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Folks, this was Mount Moriah. This was Mount Moriah where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. This was the site of the temple. For those of you who went with us to Israel... And we went in the Dome of the Rock, and you saw that protruding rock. That is part of Mount Moriah. That's the spot. It's the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. David stood there. That's what he purchased. Now, why is this significant? Because this would be the place of sacrifice for sins. It would also be the place where God would provide and remind us that he's provided a lamb sacrifice Will you look with me one, one final place to look? Genesis 22. Genesis 22. It's that famous story of God telling Abraham to go offer his only unique son, his promised son, Isaac. Yitzhak, his name would be in Hebrew. Yitzhak means laughter. This was no laughing matter, though. Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, take now your son, your only son, 
whom you love, Isaac, meaning your only son of promise, and go to the land of where? Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So apparently Moriah was a mountain range. So Abraham rose early in the morning and so forth. We go down to verse 7. Abraham is with Isaac. Isaac doesn't know what's going on. By the way, Isaac is not a little kid at this point. He's probably in his 20s, maybe 30s. It's not like he's leading a little three-year-old, just come on with me. But Isaac doesn't know what's going on. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac doesn't know that uh, he's supposed to be the burnt offering. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together, Abraham believing that God would provide. It says in Hebrews 11 that Abraham's faith was so strong that he believed that even if he sacrificed Isaac, God would raise him up. Because all the promises of the nation were in Isaac. And they came to the place to which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there. He arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering and in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. This is the place, Moriah, where God provided sacrifices in order to be forgiven of sin. And thousands of years later, thousands of years later, King David I should say King David's descendants, one of his descendants, thousands of years later after what Abraham went through, he became the perfect sacrifice for our sins. One of his descendants, Jesus Christ, was offered up to the Father as the perfect lamb sacrifice. Abraham said, son, God will provide. And God says to us years later, I have provided a lamb. I provided my only son. Abraham didn't have to take his son, but I provided my son. God provided a substitute for us. And it all ties in with what God was teaching David and the nation that sin demands payment. It does demand payment. Your sin and my sin demands payment. And praise God, God has provided that payment. We don't have to provide the payment. You know what the payment is? The payment is eternal separation from God. It's hell. That's what the Bible calls hell. Hell is a real place, but what people experience in hell is for the the torment, is for the payment of sin, because God is so holy. You could never, for all of eternity, atone for that sin. But God in his own son, the perfect sacrifice, paid for every one of our sins. Folks, this is why religion can't save you. This is why doing good things can't save you. You can't do enough good things to get to heaven. In fact, you can't do any good things to get to heaven. You and I are spiritual criminals. The Bible calls that sin. And Jesus Christ 
is the provision for our sin. And Mount Moriah reminds us of this. As we close this series on the life of David, we need to focus on David's descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him as your substitute bearer, or are you still trying to get your way into heaven? Do you know him as the one who paid for your sins? Have you trusted his death and his death alone for salvation? That's why it doesn't matter all these religions. Well, we believe this, we believe that. No one has the answer to the sin problem but Christ. We didn't make this up. The Bible reveals this. This is the principle throughout history. And you and I need to make sure that we know Jesus Christ, that we have trusted his death for our sins. Because all of us are sinners. If it's not pride, it's something else. And usually everything else stems from pride. So let's close our eyes right now, bow our heads, be quiet in in his presence. Do you know the, the Lamb of God? Have you trusted him? Or do you just go to church? Do you just uh, think that um, maybe it's your, your family tradition to do this? Maybe you were raised a certain way to believe that if you're good enough and you go to church and uh, maybe you're baptized, you're confirmed, you have some kind of ceremony, you'll make it. I'm, I'm here to tell you, you won't make it. You will not make it because you have bypassed the only way to get to heaven. There are not many roads that lead to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Sin demands punishments, and God illustrated that in the life of David. And then David's greatest descendant became our sin bearer. He tasted hell for you. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was really a rhetorical question. Jesus knew why God had forsaken him, because at that moment, he was dying as a a judgment for our sin. He who knew no sin, had never sinned, not only was paying for our sins, he actually became sin in our place. The wrath of God was upon him. The judgment of God was upon him. He was forsaken of God. He was abandoned by God, just as you and I would be if we don't, if we don't trust him. So you need to make sure that you know him. You need to make sure that you've trusted him. If you've never called upon Jesus Christ to save you, or if you're not sure that you're saved, I'd like to give you a few moments of silence now where you can call upon Christ to save you. And then you can let us know after if you've done that so we can help you. If you do know the Lord Jesus, it's a time for you, dear Christian, to um, make sure that you have not become too busy for Jesus Christ, that you've not let pride overwhelm you, if you have, you need to repent. Your strength is in the, should be in the Lord, not yourself. Those of you who have had some financial success, career success, you need to be careful. You need to be careful that you don't start approaching those things as, as your strength and power, but trust in the Lord. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. We need to be humble before Him. And humility is, is not telling everyone how humble we are. Humility is really demonstrated by an interest in other people and not thinking you're so great. Not feeling like you have to talk only about yourself. 
ask other people questions, be genuinely interested in them. That's, that's the evidence of true humility, esteeming others more important than yourself. Father, I do thank you that we've been able to study the life of David. And Lord, we, um, I'm impressed with him. What a wonderful man he was. We, we've learned about his humility, his obedience, his faith, his devotion to you. But uh, like everyone else, he was a sinner. And we want to learn from his sin. I pray as we close this series, I pray that these messages, these lessons would, would go with us uh, throughout our lives to be a constant reminder to us so that we can avoid his sin. Keep us pure before you in attitude, in action. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be careful about success, that we don't let it go to our head, that we don't see our strength in anything but Christ. And I pray for those who need to trust him, that they really will. I pray that they would see that David's descendant, the Lord Jesus, is their sin bearer. May they turn from religion to Christ and know full forgiveness, that sin demands payment. There can be no other way. And I pray for those of us who do know you, Lord, help us to have humble confidence in who you are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio classes, based on his sermons, are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are grateful to the listeners whose gifts and prayers make these programs possible. This wraps up our series of lessons on King David. You can find the whole series of classes in the MP3 archives at our website, versebyverseradio.org or call us at 727-239-0306 if you want to order a CD or cassette with this entire message. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.